Well, it is a delight to be with you this morning. The Impact World Tour, which is a ministry of Youth of the Mission, is coming in September, September, October, part of November. There's going to be an eight-week tour. And the whole idea of the tour is to present the gospel of Christ to particularly the emerging generation in the greater Cincinnati area. How many think that's a good idea that everybody should hear? And uh, we want to try to bring the gospel in such a way that they can understand it. And the world has changed. It's changing all the time, very quickly. And what we've learned is that if we use arts, entertainment, and sport, extreme sports, that we can access people where they live. We can go right into their hearts. How many of you are parents? All right. How many know that as parents, that your children pay a lot of attention to arts, entertainment, sport, extreme sport? How many notice that they don't want to dress like you? Okay, even if you dressed the latest styles, they wouldn't want to dress like you just because you did it. All right, that's not what they're, no young person wants to do that in any generation. You know, they want to emulate you later in certain ways, but they don't want to emulate you when they're a teenager or a younger child. And what they do want to do is they want to pay attention to the latest things that are out there. So they take a look at the television or they look at the movies and they look at arts of one kind or another or music artists. And they say, well, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to look like. She's pretty. He's handsome. They're accepted. They're liked. That's what I want. All right. Well, that's nothing more than dress. That's just the physical appearance on the outside. But just that much, taking a music artist or an athlete and having them share the gospel in the context of a presentation of some kind, a program, a show, some form of entertainment, we can bring Christ to somebody and they'll actually hear it, though they would never hear it if I took this podium, moved it over into a venue somewhere, told everybody in the crowd to open up their Bibles, that would, I'd be toast right there. Because that's not the culture of the younger generation. Part of what we need to understand, particularly those of us that have lived a little while, I'm a grandfather now, we have to remind ourselves that the generation we're dealing with is not a church generation. America is post-Christian. We've moved past Christian Christianity as a foundation for most of what we do today. It's historically a foundation, but today it's not Christian, Christian values are not practiced in most categories of life. Now, my father and mother, who are 90, in their generation, 65% of everybody in society went to church. And I mean, we're involved. I'm not talking about the Christmas Easter crowd or, you know, I'm talking about serious involvement where it's a seven-day-a-week kind of orientation. It's built into the culture. All right, then it came to my generation. When I was younger, it moved from 65% to 35%. Not only did it drop significantly, in terms of the percentage of the population in society engaged in church life, but we weren't very involved. It became to us a church service as opposed to a way of life. All right, so we lost a lot of the heart of the whole thing. And we, don't really, we didn't know anymore my, by my generation, and I'm fairly old, but even by my generation, we didn't understand even the heritage. We didn't know why we were sitting somewhere on a Sunday. We didn't know why we were singing out of a hymnal or what the song meant. We had no idea about the history of it all. It meant nothing to us. All it was to us was something we had to do that was imposed on us. We resented it mostly. Okay? So our generation had a lot fewer involved. And then my wife and I have six children. Our oldest is 32. And her generation, it went from 35% to 
of people involved in church life. They considered it completely irrelevant. They had pretty much thrown it out. And even the 15% involved weren't all that vibrant. All right, but now the, the emerging generation, will call them the millennial generation, meaning the average person in the millennial generation was born at the millennial change, year 2000. So they're 10. Their generation, it's less than 4%, almost 3% that are engaged in church life. Okay, most of what we call Sunday school has kind of disappeared. Most of the engagement evangelistically by Christians in the church world doesn't exist. And today in America, the best information is that only 3% of those who consider Christ their Savior, followers of Christ, and believe they're evangelical in some fashion. In other words, we're supposed to tell somebody, like the song we just sang, Okay, that bunch, only 3% of them share their faith. Which means 97% of those who say that they're the ones that are supposed to be spreading the gospel don't at all. Okay, and that's acceptable actually in our church framework. It's actually something we don't think is really required. You know, yes, it's a doctrine we have that we need to talk to somebody about Jesus, but we really don't have to do it. May I say that the gospel's never changed? That Jesus never changed his mind. When he said go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He still actually means that. He didn't modify that because we became a little more self engrossed. And didn't consider it all that important. And our messages became softer. Okay that hasn't changed at all. Actually the gospel hasn't changed either. It's just that the way we say it has changed. Jesus did it this way. He walked up to his first disciples and he said, come follow me. And that's not even complicated, is it? Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Those are the two statements he made. And they left everything they had and followed, meaning it cost them everything. Okay, what we present largely today, and I'm using we in a generic sense, what we call Christianity in the Western world, is we use Jesus as an add-on. You trust him, you believe in him, you ask him into your heart, your life. But it doesn't imply there's anything that's there that costs you. It's, it's all something he did, you just take it. Okay, let's just review again what Jesus said. He said, if anyone would come after me, Luke 9. Again, he told his disciples, right? Come, follow me. That's really easy, isn't it? Come, follow me. All right, well, where's he going? He came to seek and save those who were lost. That might give us a little hint. But then he said to his disciples, if you're going to follow me, okay, because you're supposed to, if you're going to follow me, Luke 9, Matthew 16, it's repeated over and over because the disciples didn't get it. If you're going to follow me, you must, this is not an option, you must deny yourself. Okay, that's front-end Christianity. Front-end Christianity is denying ourselves, which means our future, our will, our relationships, our finances, our rights, things that we have right to, we lay down voluntarily to be a follower of Christ. Just as he laid down his life for us, we laid down our life for somebody else. Ultimately for him, but on behalf of somebody else. All right, so the first thing you do to follow him is deny yourself. The second thing you do, Jesus said, is you pick up your cross every day which doesn't mean anything to us because we don't watch anybody die on a cross in our societies. We don't walk outside the church building here and somebody's hanging on a tree bleeding to death. You see, we have crosses on our steeples and our windows and on our Bibles and earrings. And rock and roll stars have really big ones. 
Okay, but it doesn't mean anything to us because we don't kill people on them anymore. But that was capital punishment. That's like an electric chair. So what he was really saying is, if you want to follow me, get in the electric chair every day, turn it on and die. That's kind of weird. Just think about that a minute. So if we were relevant, we'd have electric chairs in our ears and around our necks and on our Bibles. Because that's, in fact, what he was saying. We've made it a pretty ornament, but it wasn't pretty. It was something very vulgar in that time. It's capital punishment. But he said, to, to follow me, you must every day pick up your cross, which is what they did with criminals. They made them carry their crosses before they would hang them on them and put them in the ground. You must do that every day to follow me. And then Jesus summarized the whole thing. He said, if you keep your life, in other words, if you live for yourself, self-gratification, if that's how you live, you can't have me. You'll lose life, in fact, if you do that. But if you lose your life for me, you'll find life. So Christianity on the front end is not that complicated. I'll say it this way. If this is the life of God, okay, God's free life in Christ, and this is our life, he said, if you keep this one, which is your life, you can't have this one. He didn't say you can add this one to this one, which is what we've been doing. That's why very, little pe- very few people actually live for God, even though they say they believe in him. Okay, what he said is you have to lose this one completely so it's gone and you get a whole new one. All right, it's, an, it's actually you trade lives off, okay? Which you lose one, you get another one. I like that, actually. I hate this add-on business where he's like a feature in a car you buy, you know, where you can have electric windows. You know, that's how we treat Jesus. We live our lives every waking hour for ourselves, and then we just add Jesus to it to fix us, make sure that we're forgiven so we can make heaven, whatever it is. That's, that's absurd, actually. Jesus was very clear on this subject. What he said is, you've got to lose you to get me. You can't keep you and have me. It costs you everything. It's free, but it costs you everything. That's not a contradiction. You can't earn it, but if you keep you, you can't have it. All right? That's what he said. And clearly that's what he did to demonstrate for us what this was about. He left heaven in all of its glory and majesty, and he took the form of man, made himself nothing, took the form of a servant in order to purchase us. So he said, you want to follow me? You do what I do. All right, this is Christianity 101, not preached for the most part in America anymore. It hasn't been preached in three generations very much. What we preach now is some kind of easy believism you believe you're in. And you don't, doesn't really, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to actually live the life or operate in the fruit of the Spirit. You just kind of add this thing to you. But Paul understood because he said this in Galatians, I don't live anymore, but for me to live is Christ. I'm dead. I'm not alive. Now, the reason I share that with you is we have two things that we must understand in order to see a change and a shift in this generation in America. We can't keep going in the decline we've been on. I mean, I don't know how you go lower than 3% church participation. It's pretty much zero. Okay? But the vibrancy of the message, the reality of the message is at the core of the problem. The other is methodology. But what we have to do is present Christ again the way it's really meant to be said. We do it in a relevant fashion. As I said at the front end, arts, entertainment, sport, we use all kinds of vehicles to deliver it. But we have to bring the gospel back. 
But then we have to practice it ourselves. A lot of the problem is, is that when those who call themselves Christians aren't. Well, young people don't want what we have because they look at it and it hasn't changed us. So why would they want it? Okay, we live humanistic lives, which is self-gratifying lives, basically for money and for more stuff and for more entertainment. And they look at that and go, that's empty. Why would I want that? There's got to be something more than that. And, and I'm really glad they say that, actually. Okay, but that doesn't mean we have to stay immersed in a lukewarm, milk toast thing we call Christianity. Christianity isn't that at all. Christianity is vibrant, alive, and it's hugely costly. People that have followed Christ all through history have paid a great price. And they've been martyrs. They sacrificed their lives. I work a lot in areas like China, early days in India, and uh, places around the world that where people have really paid a price. You know, where there's great persecution. I just held a congress with leaders from all across the Middle East and Istanbul, Turkey. And we had to switch the location from Cairo because their lives were threatened if we brought the leaders together. What we were talking about is how to bring Christ to the Middle East with leaders from 16 countries. But they know what this is, and they have to analyze it every day. The leaders had, had death threats. The government was taking their passports, their visas, even to assemble to talk about Jesus. I wish we had a little of that, actually. We need some of that. I'd like to actually qualify who's a Christian in America right now. I don't have that jurisdiction. That's God. But wouldn't it be good even to just know who's a real believer as soon as there's a little bit of challenge where it costs you something to be a Christian? Now, I say that to you because, again, there's two things that have to happen to help turn our nation around. Okay? First, the gospel has to be restored. We have to bring the message of Christ again. We have to do it in a public forum. We have to go outside our little circles. It's not just I tell you, you tell me. We have to go out and actually tell somebody, like we just sang, we've got to bring the gospel out in the marketplace where it's not convenient and not accepted because people are practicing humanism. Their existence is built around self-gratification and comfort, and we're going to go out and actually make them uncomfortable. And that makes things a little dicey sometimes. But we've got to bring the gospel out there. And it is a confrontation. It is not something that, does, that, that you can just not have confrontation over. All through history, it's required confrontation. Not mean, but Jesus was perfect and they killed him. So that might give you a hint of what it looks like when truth is revealed. Truth doesn't make people happy all the time. It makes them free if they accept it, but it doesn't make them happy. All right, so you're the carrier of truth. And uh, they'll attack you because you're the carrier. All right, so we have to bring it back out to the marketplace. The second thing, though, we have to do is we've got to let new methodologies emerge because people, in order to hear in this day and age, we've got to communicate in a way they, that they communicate. We've got, they've got to understand it in a way that, in a world they live in. I mean, I walked into our family room at our house, oh, I don't know, last year sometime, and my daughter Corey was in there. 14 years of age, and she's a real vibrant, verbal, community kind of person. Likes everybody, everybody likes her type person. Anyway, I walk in there, and she has her cell phone, you know, and she's texting fast. She has the house phone on speaker in a second conversation, and she has the computer over here on Skype in a third conversation, 
And she's not uncomfortable at all with three conversations. I mean, totally comfortable. I wouldn't figure out any one of those very well. But she had all three going at the same time. Okay? And that was perfectly normal. Okay, how many notice that that's where the world is right now? I mean, you just look around. Okay, how are you going to go into that and communicate Christ? You can't go into it the same way we did it 100 years ago. We've got to bring Christ to them in a way they understand. All right, so we do use many different methods to, to bring Christ, deliver Christ. We, go, we use many different forms of communication. And so that's what we're beginning to do. We've got to go after an entire generation in our nation again. I want to say this, in case you didn't know, the people that normally come to Christ or people that respond to Christ are under 18 years of age. Very few come to Christ over 18. It's very hard in college years, though you don't, you don't stop trying with anybody. It's, it's almost non-existent above somebody above 50. Less than 1% of those who come to Christ are over 50. Those who come to Christ are 18 and under, and most of them are under 14. All right, so evangelism is young. And a lot of that is because young people are making decisions, adult decisions now, at 10, 12, 14. They're making decisions very young because they're exposed to so much. Right? You can see that all around you. Okay, I mean, we, when I was young, we never had all this exposure to so much stuff. And, you know, I'm not that old. But it's shifted, it's changed, so that young people now, they're blasted with stuff. 8, 10, 12 years of age, they're discussing things we never used to think about discussing before 18, 20, 25. All right, but we've got to go where they are. We have to become all things to all men. So my challenge to you is, let's work together. We are with churches all across the greater Cincinnati area this fall to present the gospel to tens of thousands. And we really do believe that about 10,000 young people will come to Christ, which is a huge number, okay? And maybe more. It really depends what we do, how we prepare, what we do ourselves. But that's what we're talking about when we say Impact World Tour. And, I, and we need to do three things. I mean, what I just said is we've got to stop and analyze where we are because if we're not walking the walk, then what are we going to disciple them into? Okay, what actually are they going to follow if we're not doing it? I think that's why self-examination is really important right now. But the other things we need to do is we need to pray, which is part of giving ourselves away. We actually spend our time on behalf of somebody else in that quiet place before God interceding for them, which is one of the great expressions of love. We need to pray and pray by name. We have something called Operation Andrew that we use, which Graham, you know, the Graham organization developed many years ago. But you write the names of people, keep them in your Bible, and you pray for them on a daily basis. They're your target. Everybody should do that. We also need to work. We've got in your bulletin, you notice there's a little slip in there with committees and things. Please pray about which committee you could give some time to. Fill that out in a week or two, you know, next sun Sunday's here, turn that in. And we'll train you in those categories. But along with Christians all across the city from different churches, we're going to be doing some work. Everybody say work. Yeah. We like that, don't we? Okay. We call them teams now, not committees, don't we, James? I think because nobody likes committees, so we just renamed it. That's what the government does all the time. They just rename everything we don't like. All right. So <laughs> it's still the same thing, though. Okay. But the third thing we do is we give. Now, that's our budget for this campaign across the city. And it's over 50 locations I think we're going over the course of the year here. 
And uh, so this is not one location, one venue. It's many, many venues. We go into each neighborhood. Actually, we're coming here to this neighborhood, too. What's the... Aiken High School. Okay, how many think it, somebody around Aiken High School needs Jesus? It's just a couple, maybe? Well, we're going to be in that high school along with high schools all across the city. We'll use the venues in the evenings, as you can. Still in America, kind of. And we'll present the gospel to many, many thousands of young people. And that's something we'll need to get ready for right in this neighborhood. But that whole budget across the city is about a million dollars. And it actually, to do that many venues normally, it would be many times that. But because we're doing this as Youth with a Mission, I mean, Youth with a Mission's, you know, YWAM is what we call ourselves. Oftentimes people think that means youth without money. But because all of us raise our own support and we don't receive salaries, we raise our own. So we keep the budgets down, though. We'll have over 100 team members coming from five continents, and they're all raising their own income. So we're excited about that. Uh, we, we like to volunteer our time, but they're going to pay a great price themselves to help you reach your city. So we asked local people if they would do the same thing and commit to help make the budget happen. And what I mean by the local budget, the executive committee has worked on a budget. They put it together. and It entails all of the venue costs, sound, light, advertising, all of that side, but also has all the discipling follow-up piece. To disciple 10,000 people to make sure they have the scriptures and put that whole structure together is a big deal. But there's many aspects to this budget, and we're going to ask you to pray about being part of that. And uh, we're going to, right after this video you're about to see, which will show you the Impact World Tour, you'll have a chance to pray and then commit what you'll do over the summer, along with Christians all across the city, to help make the budget work. Now, we've raised so far, and uh, many, many churches have been involved with this so far, what, 650000 roughly, has been committed toward the $1 million budget. We need to raise over the summer the other 350000 and we'd like you to pray about what part of that you can do. And you'll get a card and an envelope, and then we'll show you what to do with that, okay? But let's first look at this video together so we get a better idea of what we mean by Impact World Tour. I don't know if all of you can see it over here, but, oh, they've got their own screen back there. Okay, let's look at this together. on this generation and the generations to come? Has the church lost its influence on the world? Has the world begun to influence the church? Greed and moral decay are fast becoming what defines our society. In a day where short-term satisfaction is a way of life, the only true answer is eternal. However, the message of the gospel is being hidden from our past and is being buried by our future. 
The truth does not belong locked inside our church walls, but on the lips of believers sharing with all who may hear. We must reach every person, every nation, every generation. The Impact World Tour uses culturally relevant expressions, extreme sports, dance and music to draw audiences around the world. Before the show's completion, the performers become evangelists, boldly challenging the audience to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. In the U.S., statistics have shown that typically 10% of each audience make commitments. GX International speaks directly to this generation. Skaters, dancers, bikers, and inline skaters from around the world present a fast-paced, hard-hitting gospel message that will challenge to the core. No, nothing that even comes close in comparison to being right with Jesus, to knowing Him, to having His presence in your life. There's nothing better! Team Extreme brings the crowd to its feet with a power-packed presentation for all ages, which features full-on feats of strength as professional athletes push themselves to the limit in a variety of sports. He's here tonight to forgive you. He's here to give you freedom. He's here to give you a new life. He's here to give you eternity. Tonight is a night to set yourself free. Island Breeze captivates the audience, expressing the beauty and heart of culture. Polynesian dancers and musicians use indigenous music, dance, and song to share the love of Christ. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you life to the fullest. The challenge for local churches is to work together and serve God's purpose for their community. Though the goal is to see decisions made to follow Christ, it is crucial that new believers be discipled in truth. Church and individual involvement in the Impact World Tour is necessary not only for the planning of the evangelistic event, but for providing effective and loving follow-up through phone calls, small groups, Bible studies, and meetings. The goal is not just to see a night of evangelism, but to see total transformation in lives and in communities. We had Bible study in my room, and there was 11 kids. I never expected 11 skateboarders to show up for God. It takes everyone. No part is too small, no contribution insignificant. There is much work to be done, but the reward is immeasurable. The time is now. To reach all, we need all. I'm a chaplain for a public high school football team, and there were nine football players that came tonight, and watching all nine of them stand up and come forward to receive Christ was the best thing that could happen. It was awesome. It's so much needed today. That was such an impact to me that I, I wouldn't have missed this for nothing in the world. We serve a living God, and He was definitely here tonight and alive and real to this generation. I hope and pray that this is going to go everywhere, everywhere in the world. I just hope this just goes all out through the, the states and through the whole world. But the impact that you guys had on my people, it's just so wonderful. America can again be one nation under God. There are hopeful signs across our land. It will require a moral reformation in all areas of society, and it must begin with a return to Jesus. It's time to proclaim the truth of Christ publicly across our nation. We must be part of a transformation in our time.
well, you can get a better picture of what's coming. And I guarantee you that that will impact, draw and impact a significant number of people when it comes. And uh, we need to be there. We need to be part of the whole thing. Counseling, you know, what we call local links, discipling the new converts. But our chance right now is to really consider what to do financially, what to do toward this total budget. I'm going to have the ushers come and pass each one an envelope and a card. And when you receive this, I'll explain it. But the way we do this, again, with the budgets locally in these campaigns, is everyone carries some of it. There's uh, not just one big company or business person that meets these budgets. It's hundreds and hundreds of people that consider what they might do individually. In your case, over the next three months, and between now and when the campaign comes. And again, our teams that are coming, they come from five continents. So we'll have people coming in, flying in from Asia, Europe, Africa, South America, all over the world. They come and raise their own incomes. They don't take any salaries, so that's not part of this. So all of us in YWAM are doing our part to join you in Cincinnati to work alongside this. But we're asking that you consider what you might do to help make this happen. What would you do to help reach the community? And when you get the card in the envelope, just take the card. Let me explain this to you. On the left side of the card, there's a place to fill in the amount you'll give between now and the campaign, which is actually about mid-September. And there's a, there's a box that says Other. And then below that, there's, there's options of 2500 1500 and so on. That's the amount, the total amount, you'll give over these next three months. Okay? That's your pledge of one kind or another. In the middle is a place for your name and address. Fill that out because you'll receive a monthly communication with a return envelope. So you can mail your gifts back in each month. And then on the right side of the card is a box where you indicate how much you're giving today and close today. Example might be if the Lord's directing you to give 1000 over the summer, then you would, but you're giving 100 today, you'd put the 100 in that box and we're leaving a balance, of course, of 900 over the summertime. And then which form of payment? Some like to use credit cards. There's a space for that. If you're making out checks this morning, you're making them out to IWT which stands for Impact World Tour. It is tax deductible. But why don't we pray together now that you all have an envelope and a card? Let's just go before the Lord. Let's just uh, ask God to really direct our giving. This is a very important time. I consider financial giving, my wife and I have always thought this, is very similar to even the altar calls that we do during the campaigns where we're asking people to make a decision because our decision to give or not give is directly tied to how many people actually hear. And so it's, it's important. So let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you direct our giving right now. And we remind ourselves that everything we have, everything we are, is under your lordship. It's not our money, even though you allow us to be steward over it. But we are going to be accountable to you for everything we do. And so we ask you to direct us Show us exactly what you would have us do now. And that you know the future, Lord. You understand events and places and times. And you know, Lord, circumstances. So we trust you that you'll prosper us, you'll care for us. So even right now, direct what you would have us do financially to help reach the community here. And Lord, we'll be obedient. We'll do it with joy. And by faith that uh, everything we sow, that you will multiply 
We trust you for that. You are faithful to watch over your word. So thank you, Lord, right now. Make it clear to us. In Jesus' name. Feel free to talk it out with your husband or wife if you're with them, what you're going to do with your commitment. When you're ready, fill out the left side of the card with your total commitment amount. And then be sure your information's there so that you can receive the monthly updates, which have in them the return envelope so you can send your gifts back in. And then on the right side, which form of payment? Okay, and again, make your checks payable to IWT, which stands for Impact World Tour. So let's, uh, we'll give you a moment to go ahead and do that. Fill those out. And then when you're ready, take your card along with whatever gift you're giving today and put those inside the envelope here. Because I guess in a moment we're going to receive your regular offering in this one. So we don't want to mix them up. So go ahead and fill your card out and prepare your gifts. Put those on the inside. In just a few minutes, Pastor will oversee the, uh, the giving portion. If you don't have a pen... Just uh, find a woman with a purse, see if she can dig down in there, and no doubt there's something there to write with, <laughs> along with many other things. All right, thank you so much, and uh, appreciate that. This is going to go a long ways toward what God's doing in the city. It's something special about giving, too, with other Christians across the city from other churches, because we are the body of Christ. So it's great to be with you this morning. Thank you for your generosity. And for your prayers on this, too. Let's all believe the Lord for something significant right here in this neighborhood. It would be great to just see hundreds of kids come to Christ and then be able to disciple them. So, Lord bless you guys. I'm going to turn it back over because I have to catch a plane.